A lot of mobile home parks are still owned by the families who developed them or have owned them for decades. And so that's one of the things that we look for is really an unsophisticated investor for the most part, where there's going to be a lot of value add opportunity. Let's get ready to scale. guys. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode. Today, our guest is Amanda Cruz. Amanda is the Director of Analytics for Voyage Investing, where they focus on investments in mobile home parks. She manages and oversees all of the financials, including the underwriting, analyzing turnaround scenarios, and the ongoing portfolio management. She was previously a Senior Data Analyst for Capital One, And she actually has a BS in chemistry from North Carolina State University and a master's of applied statistics from Penn State. Very impressive. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Hey, Jeanette. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're happy you're here. Where are you um, tuning in from today? I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Nice, beautiful area, definitely. So let's not too bad. Yeah, definitely. Let's jump in um, and tell me. Now, I really don't know a lot about you know mobile home parks, so I actually find this really interesting. So, what made you decide to focus on mobile home parks, um, you know, rather than all the other asset class options you have? Yeah, honestly, it became our path. We part of partly we stumbled into it. So when we started investing in 2018. We started with a duplex and did some furs and single family stuff and knew we wanted to go a little bit faster. So we started doing individual mobile home notes. Essentially, we were the bank and we were getting a great interest rate, but it was a really passive opportunity. So we did that a handful of times and liked it and it went really well. We knew mobile home parks were good investments as far as returns. So we had experience there and just decided to scale in that direction, just given our experience. Interesting. So you started off just with individual mobile homes and then scaled out to actually getting the parks as a whole? Yeah, that's right. We went, we did individual ones. We would basically buy them from somebody who really needed to sell for a good price and then turn around and sell them. And we would carry that note. And so we just became the bank for them. That is very interesting. Now I'm curious, where do you source uh, these types of deals? (laughs) <laughs> for those, really, um, Facebook Marketplace is a, a really good way to buy and sell individual homes, which we still use to this day when we're selling homes in the parks. Nice. And how did you start to go about identifying parks as a whole? How did that like journey start? Yeah, so it was a long journey of documenting all of the parks that exist, right? There's not as much um kind of list out there available for all mobile home parks. So we started calling counties and just really understanding what are all the mobile home parks. The counties have to have those documented anyways uh, because they have to be registered. So we have a big off-market direct to seller deal searching funnel that we put together. So um, really the first step in that was going out and finding what all the parks were. Very interesting. And so, you know, especially given your background as an analyst, what is the type of criteria that you use to identify, you know, a a park that, you know, is ideal for the types of returns you're looking for? Yeah. So a lot of mobile home parks are still owned by the families who developed them or have owned them for decades. And so that's one of the things that we look for is 
really an unsophisticated investor for the most part, where there's going to be a lot of value add opportunity. A lot of times these investors may have owned these parks for decades. They're providing a lot of cash flow, but they don't have a ton of incentive to run it like a business and optimize the income. So they may not have improved the infrastructure in a few decades. So we really look for parks where we can go in and get the infrastructure up to a better standard. And of course, improve the net operating income to force that appreciation. And we want to be in markets. A lot of times we look for secondary or even tertiary markets with mobile home parks. The market can be a lot more forgiving because of affordable housing demand. So as long as the market is growing and has diverse employment, then we're comfortable in that space. And it's a lot easier to compete in a secondary or a tertiary market while still having a solid product. So those are a few of the things that we're really looking for in our criteria. Very interesting. Uh, very interesting. I'm curious to know what uh, what does the landscape look like as far as competition? How competitive is it? Yeah, I mean, if you take it back to where mobile home parks were five or 10 years ago, there's a ton more competition right now. And, and there are a handful of reasons for that. I mean, a lot of investors from the even more competitive multifamily space are pivoted into mobile home parks because they want to get more deals. And you also have um, different lending opportunities now than you did a decade ago in the mobile home park space. And I think probably true in multifamily and mobile home parks sort of across the board with real estate investing, there's just a ton more knowledge available, which then enables more people to get into the space. So it, it definitely has become more competitive than it used to be, um, but not as competitive as, say, multifamily. Very cool. When my team was doing a little bit of uh, research, you know, before we we came on air, uh, we discovered that there's actually a lot of institutionals that even incorporate this into their portfolio, which I thought was really interesting. Um, how do you compete against some of those institutionals? And what does that look like sometimes? Have you found yourself in that position yet? Yeah, so a couple of things that we do, we are one being in the secondary and tertiary markets is a huge differentiator there. A lot of times the institutional investors are only in primary markets. And a lot of times they're also looking for a hundred plus lots, whereas we can go in and we'll buy something down to about 20 lots. They're not looking for those parks, but that allows us to go in, for instance, in one of our um, cities, we have two parks, one's 50 lots and one's 30 lots. And so that becomes an 80 lot portfolio. So then those are more desirable on the sell side. And while we've done that hard work of going and scouting those smaller parks that institutional investors wouldn't even be looking for in the first place. Wow, neat. Now, do you actually like essentially syndicate these deals when it comes to raising the capital to, you know, secure these, these properties? We do now. Our first three parks, we used our own money, our own capital, and really just wanted to build up the experience of knowing exactly what to do. Um, and so now I know exactly what I'm doing with underwriting. We have a good acquisition funnel. Jonathan, my husband, who's my partner, he does our asset management. He's amazing with due diligence. He knows exactly what he's doing in that space. So once we were comfortable with that, we started bringing on investors. Last year, we did our first syndication. Wow, nice. Congratulations. Thank you.
Now, because you brought it up, I'm curious too about, you know, what do these deals look like when you underwrite them? What would you say are some of the most important factors that kind of make or break the underwriting when you're looking at mobile home parks? Infrastructure is a big one. And so really it it's similar to multifamily or residential, right? You have your income, people are renting from you and that might be lot rent, which is when the residents own their own homes and they're just paying for the right to be on your land essentially. Or it could be full rent as if you know the owner owns the home and it's just a standard rental like with multifamily or a single family house. So you have your rental income and then your expense side, you probably have a manager, you have your insurance, of course, you have infrastructure that you may or may not have to pay for. So one of the big things with mobile home parks is who's paying for the water, who's paying for the sewer and what type of sewer do you have and what type of water do you have? Do you have well, where are you connected to city or county water and who's footing that bill? Are you connected to city or county sewer or do you have septic systems? And if you have septic systems or if you have a well, then that is gonna be a higher expense, a higher expense for maintenance, for things that could go wrong. And, and so those things will play into your NOI ultimately and how much you can pay for a park and what the returns will be. Nice. Uh, I'm, I'm truly learning a lot. This is very cool to me. Um, okay. So now that, you know, kind of pivoting over to NOI, um, you know, for our listeners, we'll just clarify that this is a net operating income. And obviously I can see, or I'm assuming that one of the benefits of mobile home park investing is cash flow. So do you want to talk about how cash flow and NOI correlate and what you do to drive that NOI up? Sure. So one piece to just sort of compare the net operating income typically of a mobile home park is going to be a little bit higher um, than an, a similar property in multifamily. And what happens is the cap rates are a little bit higher for mobile home parks than they are in multifamily. And so you're getting more income for the same purchase price, essentially. Now, there's a trade, there's a big trade off there that some people don't talk about enough which is mobile home parks are more work than multifamily. You're not just going to hire some third-party property management company. You are the one determining what the property management strategy is, and then you're managing a manager. And so there's a trade-off there, but you actually can get you know, a bit higher of returns because of that. Um, and so you know, on the cash flow side, then there's going to be an impact there where if you're buying it for the same purchase price, you're likely going to have more cash flow on the mobile home park side. And I mean, there are different trade-offs as well. Like sometimes there can be more value to add on a multifamily property, because when you're talking about rents that are $1,200 that can go to 1600, then you're talking on the mobile home park side. If you have a lot rent that's 200, that can go to 400. It's not as much per unit. And so, you know, there are a little bit of differences there, but ultimately we're all doing the, the same thing, which is trying to drive the highest net operating income possible to drive the highest value possible and return the most amount of money to ourselves and our investors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I'm curious too, what is your typical value add strategy uh, look like? You know, we're going in and, you know, we're, we're actually changing things typically, you know, uh, mainly within the units, you know, we're pulling out counters, putting in granite flooring. But I assume with the mobile home park, some of these mobile homes are owned outright, and it may just be the land rights, right? So yes. where do you go in and just and execute kind of these value add strategies? 
Yeah, so we prefer to have the, the model where the tenants own their own home, the residents own their homes. And so our value add is gonna be with infrastructure. So we're gonna go in and repair any septic systems that need to be repaired. We're gonna repair the roads and we're going to get those lot rents up to market value over time. We can also do similar things like in the multifamily space with billing back water. So we can add in sub meters and have the residents actually paying for the water that they're using themselves. And those things will drive the value of the property itself. Nice. Now, before we jump into uh, what we'd like to call the lightning round questions of the show, um, I'm just curious, are there any you know, top three fun facts, you know, that you've kind of learned along the way, managing the, mm -hmm. owning and operating, you know, these mobile home parks? Fun facts. Um, so there are some new mobile home parks being built in certain cases, and they're typically nicer ones, but mobile homes themselves depreciate in value. So the way that you actually value a park is different than the way that you would value a multifamily asset where you're not capitalizing all of the income that comes in. You only want to capitalize the lot rent portion of the income and then basically add shell um, values for the individual homes. So that's one fun fact that's a little bit different than multifamily. Yes. Um, let's see. A second one is you really want to be careful about the infrastructure that you choose in mobile home parks. So I talked about city sewer versus having a septic system. Those are all fine with us. We own a lot of septic systems at this point, but we will not touch um, wastewater treatment plants. So some parks will actually have their own wastewater treatment plants on site and they can be called lagoons or whatnot. I had one broker tell me it was a pond, <laughs> I guess if it was a selling feature. So just be wary of that. And especially if you're investing with, a group who would buy something like a wastewater treatment plant, those are harder to sell because there are a lot of investors who don't want to touch them. And um, so that is a second fun fact there. Yeah, and see. about liabilities, how complex that would be, you know, chemical engineering, I don't know, yeah. And the biggest thing is the risk if it fails or if the EPA comes and says that you haven't met a specific criteria and you could have to spend $300,000, $500,000 and if that's on a smaller park, it may only be worth a million dollars and that completely devastates your investment. So it's really just not worth the risk a lot of the time. Um, let's see about a third. You know, a, a third thing that we really like about this space is the tenants tend to, tend to stay for a long time. It costs a lot of money to move a mobile home on the order of five to $10,000. I mean, you have to have a mover, a professional mover, move it from one location to another. Then you have to tie it down you have to add decks, add skirting, hook up the HVAC, hook up the electrical and plumbing. It costs a lot of money. And so most residents don't have the money to pay to have their home move from one park to another. So the homes tend to really stay for a long time. And even if the tenants themselves want to move, then they can sell their homes to another resident who will keep paying the lot rent. So you tend to have that really sticky revenue. Wow, that's a that's a unique benefit for sure. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been very interesting. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, Thank just you. to do a little bit of a lighter note, we like to play what's called the lightning round questions. There are five right. questions that I ask all of our guests. Uh, so are you ready? Let's go. All right. So in between all of this, do you actually just have a hobby? 
I like to cook and try different things. I don't have as much time to do it these days. We have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, um, but I do enjoy cooking. Ah, very good. Very good. And yeah, two and five can be a little picky and not always appreciative of their menu uh-huh. options, right? That's right. <laughs> All right. And what is something that most people don't know about you? I almost died giving birth to our first child. I ended up getting super sick with something called HELP syndrome that came late in my pregnancy that went undiagnosed until it was almost too late. And my husband like literally saved my life by forcing me to go to the ER. And so I obviously did survive that. It was really challenging. But I think that actually led to the decision just a few months after we had our first child that I needed to listen to those voices in the back of my head saying, hey, there's something else here besides, you know, working for a large bank. You know, I worked at Capital One for about a decade. Like there's something bigger to life here um, and go pursue that. Wow. Well, what a great way to take something that could be traumatic and really negative, you know, a serious adversity and turn it into something uh, to inspire you. And thank goodness you're okay. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Um, All right. Now, what about as far as books? Is there any particular book that you're currently reading or that you would just really highly recommend investors need to get their hands on? If you're looking into investing in commercial real estate and you haven't yet read Ken McElroy's The ABCs of Real Estate Investing, I would really recommend that book. It's a really great introduction to basically flipping. That's what we all do. We buy properties and we improve them. And you think of flipping single family houses, and this is a really great um, digest of how he started doing it with multifamily properties and with commercial real estate. All right. And so, you know, we know that this is about more than money, right? It's about our priorities, our passions, our families. So what would your advice be to our listeners for really building an extraordinary life? Yeah. So once you determine what an extraordinary life means to you, then you can start looking at what any obstacles might be or what your perceived obstacles are to having that extraordinary life today. And once you write things down and look at them, you can start asking yourself questions. Why is it that I don't have the time to pick my child up from school? Or why is it that I don't have the time to go on a one-week vacation with my family? And then you can start fixing those problems and moving what you envision as an extraordinary life and pull that forward to today. That's a wonderful answer. I love it. Uh, And very good advice. There really is no reason to not start trying to live, you know, your best life now. Uh, And, you know, you can always take little steps to work towards that. It's a a family motto of ours, actually. So great advice. I love that. Awesome. Yeah. All right. And last but not least, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about this, Amanda, how can they find you? Yeah, our website is voyageinvesting.com. So you can go there if you're interested in the passive opportunities we have. You can join our investor circle. And I post a bunch on Instagram for both passive and active investing. So you can follow me at investing with Amanda. All right, perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Amanda. This was very interesting. Thank you, Jeanette. Hope you learned a little bit about mobile home parks. And I look forward to seeing you next week in Salt Lake City. Yeah, for sure. And for those of you that tuned in today, thank you so much uh, for listening. We appreciate you. We want to know your thoughts. So please make sure to uh, like, rate, review, share comments, um, you know, suggest it over to a friend, reach out, give us some questions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys again next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>